Welcome to FinTech Direct, where we provide you the knowledge and expertise to give you the edge over your competition in the payments and fintech industries. I'm your host, Jordan Olivas, and today I have Ben Cowder, the SVP of Integrated Payments at Singular Payments. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. The pleasure is all mine. Before we begin the show, tell us a bit about yourself. Absolutely. So, Ben Cotter, I work for a company called Singular Payments, who recently was acquired by a company called Payment Data Systems, who's a publicly traded company. Uh, think of them as a holding company. So, Singular Payments is kind of the brand. I'm a little bit more on, a, on the personal side. I've been married to a beautiful wife, Jackie, six and a half years. Very blessed and privileged to have her in my life. We have three dogs or our fur babies and I'm based in Cincinnati, <laughs> Ohio. Great, thank you. Before you came to Singular, can you tell me a bit more about your background? What did you do before this and how did you get into the payments industry? Yeah, great question. So I was uh, finishing up college, college called Oberlin College, and I was doing banking work, so teller work. And you know, as I progressed in that, throughout my college years to help fund college, got more responsibility, I guess you could say. And it wasn't just kind of processing cashing checks and deposits and things like that. Qualification of loans. So I would say my background was kind of in the banking industry, right? And I understood the movement of funds, settlement, those types of things. But really, my entree into payments uh, is from a guy named Joe Papano, who at the time worked for Fifth Third Bank in the FTPS, or Fifth Third Processing Solutions Division, in electronic payments. And a long story on how I, how I got introduced to him, but long story short, he blew me off on the first interview. Great, what the heck, I'm probably, this is, you know, pipe dream, not going to happen. I was, I wanted to do more uh, investment. You know, my background is in economics. That's what I studied in school. And so I thought I'd be an investment banker. That sounded sexy at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's uh, that's some real hot stuff right there. Absolutely. And, you know, this was coming uh, back when hedge funds were popping up and people were making billions of dollars, you know, and so it was it was an exciting time, uh, like we're about to get in, I think, in more detail here in the, the time and space uh, that, that we have in, in payments and electronic payments and uh, fintech. But to wrap that piece up, uh, he did call me back a couple of weeks later, meaning Joe Papano, and he said, hey, come on down to Cincinnati. I was in, in near Cleveland at the time. And let's see if there's a good fit. I want to introduce you to, to different people and, and see if it's a good fit. And so long story short, that's what ended up happening. And I told him I would take the job under one condition and one condition only that I could learn from him as sort of a mentor in the payment space and industry. So I moved to Cincinnati, me and my wife, and that was a little over seven years ago. So Great decision. I'm glad I did it. But that's kind of my background, you know, kind of came from the banking world and, and in, into payments. And then we'll talk more about the journey from there. But that's sort of the background into uh, payments. Thanks for that additional information. I think that our listeners understand where your perspective comes from. And it'll be a unique perspective in comparison to some of my previous people that I've had on the show, mainly because you come from the investment banking background. But moving forward, who's Singular Payments? I understand that you've been acquired by Payment Data Systems. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Absolutely. <clears throat> so Singular Payments was a company founded in 2009. Started out really as a traditional ISO, but even back in 2009, the traditional ISO was sort of experiencing a squeeze, right? Margin compression from an acquiring perspective. And how do you differentiate, right? 
So from there, uh, very quickly, I think it probably took, and again, I wasn't there for this, but I think it took maybe about a year for them to stumble on the idea of a flat rate processing model. So it was before Square, uh, which obviously made the flat rate pricing model in yes. our industry, yep. put it on the map and, and uh, gave it kind of credibility and proved the model that it works in scale. But Singular Payments actually was doing that before Square, just not obviously with the technology, the marketing, this, the uh, other elements in terms of distribution. But that's sort of the core of what Singular Payments was up until really about 2015 and 16. So they, they had success. Uh, it, you know, that is their differentiator in terms of, hey, there's not a, you know, there's 200, 240 or whatever it is, interchange rates. Hey, we're just going to simplify it and, and give you a 299 or a 289 rate, flat rate, and you, you know exactly what you're paying every month. Where it stored, sort of started evolving a little bit is they actually had a guy come from Vantive, uh, a guy named Brett, and he he was all about integrated partners and software partners. And so that's sort of the entree that was actually, even previous to that, it was probably 2013 when he came on board. And they started at least saying, hey, that's going to be the referral source, is working with software partners, understanding what their needs are, and kind of giving, you know, uh, one of the gateway options that they had as a, as a reseller, as an ISO, to the software developer to, to write to. So that's sort of legacy, what I'll call singular payments. Singular payments as we know it today it is a much different company, but it's actually, it's good that we had both that flat rate background and experience and pioneered that as well as integrated payments and how to do it uh, not the optimal way. I'll put it that way. Where we are now, just to kind of summarize is, you know, we have become our own payment facilitator. We've built out our own front end API SDK environment, which has sample code, not, not dissimilar to Stripe in terms of if you write in Java or C Sharp or whatever language, Ruby on Rails that you prefer to code in and you're actual software application was developed in, but we also have both APIs for onboarding and contracting, as well as the logic and workflow to really remove as much friction from that process as possible and get wide adoption and penetration into a software developer's base for integrated payments. Let's talk about that just for a moment on the payback model specifically. I actually interviewed someone that is a payback on one of the previous episodes and Obviously, when I go to NEAA, WSAA, ETA, and all those other shows, you start to see this big movement away from the merchant of record model and moving towards the payback model. And even some of those who are looking at becoming an acquirer are looking at the payback model and saying, hey, this is a pretty good option, even though the margins aren't as high. So unless I'm processing billions of dollars worth of transactions, it just may not be worth it. You know, being, being a payback just makes more sense. So... What was the deciding factor for singular payments to become a payback? Do you think it's a, a sustainable model for some of those ISOs who have become a payback? And in addition, what are some of the downsides that you see that'll play into that model? Wow, wow. Very good question. And it's it's loaded and frankly we could probably <laughs> or on that alone and maybe, you know, not cover anything else, but I'll try and summarize and really keep it succinct. And if we need to, you know, do another segment on just unpacking that alone, uh, that would be cool, I think, from my perspective. But to answer that, um, 
as precisely and concisely as I can. What was the deciding factor for Singular to, to go that route? Um, it was my background in the last five years. So once I got to FTPS, Fifth Third Processing Solutions, which became Vantive, publicly traded in 2012, March of that year, I did a bunch of things, including worked in retail, fuel industry, supermarket, B2B, healthcare, a lot of different industries all in the mid-market or national sales side. But about five years ago, five and a half, I guess now. Wow, time flies. <laughs> five years ago, I saw what we were doing pioneering the payment facilitator model at Vantive. Mm-hmm. It was our head of risk. Uh, Tom Humphreys was the guy's name, as well as MasterCard, who actually wrote and and created the first documentation that's now found in MasterCard's rule book on payment facilitation. It's a 200 and something page total rule book. I believe it's 22 pages that specify exactly what that operating model, meaning payment facilitation is. But I spent the last, you know, about five years, four and a half years uh, in the payment facilitation uh, division inside of Vantive and really got to see the full spectrum of startups out of the Bay Area, software companies, all the way up to, you know, Capital One, Western Union, doing, you know, billions and actually tens of billions of dollars in volume uh, a year and got to interact with those companies uh, really mostly on the technology side, but also the business level in terms of what what's their highest or, or their objective that they're trying to solve for. And what I learned in that process was, you know, they want to simplify their customer's experience, their merchant from a, an acquirer terminology, their merchant, but really the user of their software, the, the business that's using their software product, their ERP product, their point of sale mm-hmm. product. And they want to simplify as much for them as possible. And electronic payments is is really a challenge, right? And we'll get into that probably in a little bit more detail. But the long story short is why Singular went this direction in terms of became their own payment facilitator is because that's what I directed them to do. Uh, heading up, you know, product and strategy in collaboration with a guy named Vaden Landers, who uh, has spent 30 plus years in the payments industry. And for those payments, people who, you know, may listen to the show and love it, uh, he was actually the chief marketing officer for Greg Daly's first company that he took public for over a billion dollars. I think it was called PMT. And then, of course, iPayment, uh, mm-hmm. Vaden was part of that deal. And so um, it was the collaboration of Vaden and I that, that, um, you know, I said, this is what I want to do. And he said, yeah, I, I agree. That's exactly where we need to go. Will you come on board and lead the charge? Which made, you know, my decision, frankly, pretty easy to move on from Vantive to take a much more senior level executive role. And then Vaden and I have really shoulder to shoulder built out since really the end of 2015. Let's see. No, sorry. The end of 2016, it was about October, November, we started defining requirements, things of that nature. So we've talked about this evolution of not only singular, but the payments industry as a whole. And if you look back at our conversation, we discussed how there are all these different types of interchange rates, and then you move to a flat rate, then an e-commerce model, and now a payback model. And one of the topics I've recently mentioned on LinkedIn is how brick-and-mortar stores are making a slight comeback. Previously, they were losing a lot of traction, but now they're trying to make shopping in, in person more interactive and really turn it into a true experience so it's fun to go shopping again. So when you look at contactless payments becoming even more important in that situation, whether it be via Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, or Android Pay, 
that really is the next movement in the payment space. You saw this industry move from cash to check to card to e-commerce, and now you're starting to see it move to contactless. Even though we only have 10 to 13% adoption, how do you see this playing out in the next five to 10 years, maybe here in the US, or is it not gonna happen, not so much? And why do you think there's been such a slow adoption with contactless? Yeah, that's, that's a great question as well. It was funny, I, I had a conversation with a consultant back when Apple Pay first launched. There's uh, all the Apple users out there are fanatical, right? I mean, <laughs> yes, yes, they are. So, uh, and I said, my prediction was, hey, in the first year, I bet less than 1% adoption. And it turned out from the launch of, of Apple Pay to, you know, a year from that date, I was, I was right. And the reason is, it, my logic and the reason, in my opinion, is, it's change. You know, the hardest thing to change is human behavior. Absolutely. And you're talking about reaching to, to grab a credit card, sliding that. EMV, believe it or not, uh, is not as slow as I certainly thought it would, meaning the internet bandwidth, I think, probably most merchants have really upped that. And so it's, yeah, it takes another second or two maybe. As, as but that's a lifetime in the consumer shopping experience when you're used to that swipe. It's all about that perception. It, it, it's definitely perception, but in my view, what's really going to drive adoption is more of the interaction of you know mobile couponing and other value-added items that's going to make it – eventually it's going to happen, but it's still going to be slow until all of a sudden it's not slow. It's kind of like Amazon, right, where where the heck did they come from you know, <laughs> year yes. or two? It's been a slow, you know, process before they reach that hockey stick. I think it's going to be very similar on contactless, in my opinion. It's going to take a combination of, you know, um, under us understanding from an analytics perspective, more T log, skew level data, things like that, and really being able to uh, be precise with giving rewards, offers, things of that nature to a mobile phone or maybe a fingerprint who knows where it's going but to move from that card to more of a contactless methodology but in my opinion that's still going to take three four five years before we get any sort of critical mass because it's just changing from someone reaching for their card to a new behavior in my opinion that's a great topic and let's just spend a minute or two on that piece when looking at contactless payments when you talk about a value-added reseller essentially a gen 2 reseller in the space there's a lot of opportunity there. When you look at a lot of the platforms out there, there are hundreds if not thousands of rewards platforms and gift card platforms as well. As an ISO or as a merchant, there's essentially unlimited amount of options that I can go with. So I think that if you can find a new way to enter that market in a new and innovative way with mobile coupon rewards with, hey, use your contactless payment and receive a coupon or reward, you have a great business case. And, and for Singular, and maybe some of the other ISOs out there, here's a great market opportunity to differentiate yourself outside of just being a payback. You really are providing a new service and Apple will just love you. Apple and all the other mobile providers out there will take any opportunity to increase the utilization of their product. And I think that would be a really interesting way to go about it. So just thinking about that from a very high level, what ideas do you have that can really spur the next level of innovation in the mobile and contactless payment space? Yeah, that's an amazing question. Actually, it's funny because that's been one of the things that I've had my eye on the last five or six years. Uh, I got introduced to a consultant in the, in the food space, so 
Uh, he was a, a broker that sold to basically manufacturer rep, right, that had sold to various retail chains, but represented, you know, your Kellogg's, your Heinz ketchup, so on and so forth, the CPG side. And he opened my eyes really to the massive opportunity, right, from an FSI Catalina uh, kind of paper clearinghouse side. And so I would say to any of the listeners out there, uh, if you have expertise or specifically technology that you're already, you have database structures, you have things like that in place that does anything from a couponing loyalty rewards side of things, I'd love to, you know, kind of further vet that out in terms of what does a solution look like? I mean, the challenge is it's a platform play, so it's the good news, bad news, right? Yep. You have the chicken and the egg and what comes first and what drives adoption. The, the good news is there's certain models, like I'd, I'd say a Groupon, for example, mm-hmm. has put together a very obviously massive and, and successful business doing what I think someone's going to do. Now, whether some of these big companies who have market positioning, you know, FSI, Catalina, and there's different uh, companies that play in that space. If they figure it out from a digital strategy standpoint, I don't know. But um, I definitely think there's massive opportunity. It's going to take some work, though, because you got to integrate with point of sales and you got to integrate with, like you said, Apple and some of the other mobile platforms. But certainly a worthwhile thing to look at, especially if you're someone like you mentioned in ISO. The ISO has to build from scratch. In my opinion, there's there's probably different paths they should go in my recommendation. But if, if there's a software company listening to this who has some of the expertise and maybe some of the applications already structured and or built for managing rewards points things of that nature i'd be very interested in having that conversation i'm sure you would as well (laughs) absolutely and you know that's right up my line of work so as we round out the end of our conversation i would like to discuss two small points the first being my favorite is blockchain not cryptocurrency but blockchain technology itself How do you see this playing into the payment space? Well, first of all, I would recommend any listeners that, you know, reach out to Jordan. He's more of the expert in blockchain. But my personal opinion is there's definitely use cases for it. Having a central um, system, right, where there's dual or more authentication that can happen, definitely going to continue to take root. I think Citibank, there's some major players who have already moved forward with this. And have proven it out. So I would say it's past the, from a life cycle perspective, it's past the, is it going to work? Is it going, is it here to stay? Um, but I will say, you know, the use case has definitely got to be there in terms of sort of displacing another processor system. So that's, that's my view on blockchain at the moment. I appreciate your insight on that. So one final question that I like to ask people, especially someone from the ISO channel is, What's your prediction for the traditional ISO channel five to 10 years from now? Yeah. Um, Wow. I don't want to make any enemies on this call. (laughs) To be very honest, I think, in my opinion, there's different ways and different options to innovate and add either more value-added services. I really, at the rate this society is going and technology and APIs are really driving, in my view, adoption and usage of any service, I think there's got a technical component or play, in my view, for, you know, ISOs to continue to, to enjoy life, right? I mean, I think other, the other option is you just play the uh, down to a penny and how many times can you slice it game and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's not been a fun ride. I think anyone is big on the ISO side over the last 10 years can validate what I'm saying, but 
I, I think it's going to continue to go that way unless you deploy a solution, right? Which Absolutely, and I can agree with that. And I think that most people listening to the show can agree that it's not a bad way to go necessarily, but you need to focus on a way to innovate within the technology space. And really, a good sales team is the best way to drive those new solutions. And maybe some of those solutions that Singular Payments has is a great way to start driving those sales forward. So if people want to get a hold of you to talk about any of these topics, whether it be on the phone or in person at one of these upcoming shows, how should they get a hold of you? I'm very transparent. I'll just give my email and, and cell number for that matter. I travel a lot. And so that either one is a good way to, to reach out. And, you know, text is obviously, in, in my view, become the premier method because a lot of us are on phone calls, right? And it's something we can return quickly versus email. A lot of times, you know, there's a hundred that get in your inbox and then you got to play catch up. So long story short, it, it's B Cotter. So B-K-A-U-D-E-R at singularpayments.com, just as it's, you know, S-I-N-G-U-L-A-R payments.com. And then my mobile number is 419-344-5403. And I, the last thing I'd say, you know, appreciate you having me on, Jordan, for sure. I think this is a, an awesome platform where a lot of very sort of hard information to decipher for the average or even, you know, professional person, uh, they can get on here and for free really get their arms more around it or get a direction. You know, so I always like to qualify things, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, really how I can help. So if, if people are like, well, you said a lot, but I don't really know what the deal is. How do, what's in it for me type deal? If you are a software company who has hundreds or thousands of users, meaning merchants, using your product, there, there's absolutely multiple ways of significant value we can help you. And if you know, right, you have some sort of meaningful relationship with software developers, uh, my the solution that I architected is meant for them so that they don't have to take on liability risk and a bunch of other things that it really doesn't make sense for them to do, I would say. And, and there's a lot of reasons we could go into. Maybe that's another whole segment. But I would say those are the two, <laughs> two factors in terms of, you know, what's in it for who and qualifiers. Ben, once again, thank you for the compliment. I really appreciate it. For all those listening, I will be sure to put Ben's contact information as well as the URL to Singular Payments in the show notes be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts at and then once again thanks for being on the show we really appreciate it yep thanks jordan have a good week see ya you too